This is the Dealer News Today podcast, the podcast for automotive executives and the professionals who support them. Hey there, folks, and welcome to Dealer News Today. You made it. Look, you're here, right? You're listening. And, uh, well, we do appreciate you for it. This is episode four of season six. We are just moving right along. But, you know, feel free to go back and listen to any and all past episodes and seasons at dealernewstoday.com or anywhere you get your podcasts. We are there. Uh, we've had a lot of great guests over the years, so definitely check those out. Uh, we'd love it if you followed us on social media at Dealer News Today. And uh, I am your host, Derek D. If you're like, huh, who, who the hell is this guy? Well, DerekD.com will clear that up for you. All right, let's jump into this episode. Our guest is a classic, started from the bottom, now he's here, and we love to see it. He's been with CarPros since its inception in the early 90s, so he has a ton of experience. He has an MA, he has an MBA, you know, he's uh, he, he recently received the Silver Stevie Award for Maverick of the Year in the 2023 American Business Awards. I mean, Maverick, that's a pretty cool title and name, right? Uh, he's well-educated and he's an all-around good dude. I'm talking about the CEO of CarPro's Automotive Group, Matthew Phillips. Good morning, Matt. Good to have you on the show. Good morning, Derek. Thanks for having me. Uh, great to be here. You got it. Appreciate you being here. Now, uh, do you prefer Matt or Matthew? I go by Matthew. All right, Matthew it is. All right, let's let's talk about uh, you a bit and your history. You've been with CarPros since the beginning, right? I think it was started in 1993. Yeah, it's my dad's company. I grew up in the business. So a lot of people that grew up in the business grew up a little bit different. Uh, my dad was a car salesman and then uh, had used car dealerships. Uh, and it was all very um, bootstrapped. So I grew up moving beaters and washing cars. And uh, when I came ground out of college, floor. ground floor, yeah, well, it was just him and my mom. And, and he actually grew the used car organization to, um, I think, six, six small used car lots. So um, it was going pretty well. Uh, a lot of work. Um, after I got out of college, I joined him full time. And then in the late 90s, we got our first new car store. Wow. Yeah. You know, I, I always like to hear when CEOs and uh, like dealership owners started out just like washing cars and running errands and doing those things, you know, and really working their way up, helping out their dad or uncle, whoever started the biz, you know, basically starting from the bottom. And now you're here, you know, <laughs> and you also have a a master's in organizational psychology from Columbia Teachers College? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I um the Teachers College at Columbia University. So I um I have an MBA from Cornell and a master's in organizational psychology from Columbia. Wow. What what is organizational psychology? Um in a nutshell. <laughs> that's a that's a great that's a great uh, question, but really what we mostly study it's the behavior of organizations and how people in organizations behave. And ours was particularly focused around change management and how we implement change, which, as we learned from the pandemic, is more important than it's ever been. Yeah, that that's really that's really cool because I would imagine that helps you a lot in, you know, with 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 you and your dealerships, right? I mean, that makes a lot of that for, for organizational psychology in a dealership setting. I think to have that knowledge would help out a lot. Well, Derek, you know, the way I found that program was I was just looking for resources to help us become better at change. I felt that our organization wasn't good at change. I, you know, I don't think we were any worse than anyone else. I think most organizations aren't good at change. Yeah, a lot and of people in general aren't good at change. <laughs> people aren't good at change. If we are, we'd all 
we'd all be right. uh, 10 pounds lighter. But um, <laughs> so I was just looking for resources and what I could do to help us get the institutional knowledge to become better at change, to become more proficient at, at change. And I found this program and I went and, and did it. And it was really, really enlightening, and really um, transformational for me. Uh, and I brought a lot of information back into our organization and, you know, change is still hard and we still struggle with it, but we have a lot of new strategies and mindsets to make it um, easier for us to pivot and adapt new policies, adapt new technologies, basically roll with the punches. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I feel like that's, that's a, a, a great, yeah, like you said, change is hard for people. It's hard for organizations. So if you could figure out a way to maneuver through that better, sounds like you have, and that's, that's awesome. So you're, you're based in, are you from Seattle, Washington originally? Are you from that area or that's just. Yeah, we started based? in Seattle. I grew up in Seattle. I'm in Seattle right now. We still have three dealerships here in 2004. Well, let me back up a little bit. So I started saying we got our first dealership in the late nineties. It was a, a Hyundai dealership. And the thing that's amazing about my dad is he is the best car salesman you've ever met. I mean, just amazing. So yeah. he has this little Hyundai dealership in Lacey, population 8,000. And he's out there and he wants to be successful. And you've never met anyone with a drive like his. And he's out there and he's selling Hyundais. And his first full year, I think he's the number eight Hyundai dealer in the nation. Now, in uh -huh. the late 90s, it wasn't a high bar. But, you know, we're selling out of an old gas station. And yeah. um, then right around 2000, 2001, we got our second new car store, which was um, the Kia store in Tacoma, Washington, and that uh, shot to number one in the nation. So in like 01, 02, 03, somewhere around there, we were the number one Kia dealer in the nation. At the time, Kia was really struggling in Los Angeles. It was really not a good market for them. So they asked us to come down and try our hand with some Kia stores. So we, we went down there and got a Kia store. And uh, we were, we were going to go down to L.A. and show them how it was done. And we spent about five years getting our teeth kicked in, but um, but we're doing okay now. Yeah, uh, I would so, say. Aren't you the top Kia retailer in the U.S.? Yeah. So yeah, we, so we yeah. store um, in Glendale. is the number one Kia dealer in the nation. Uh, it sells five, six hundred new Kia a month. We're also, that store is also the number one uh, Kia EV dealer in the nation and the number one CPO in the, in the nation. Congrats it's also, thank you. And for last year, it was, I think the number six largest uh, new or number six top selling new car franchise dealer of any make. So we were, wow. for example, the number one Honda dealer uh, sold about 4,500 new Hondas. We sold about 6,000 new Kia. Oh, wow. That's quite the difference. I mean, it's, uh, you know, Kia and Hyundai, you're right. Like you were, like you were saying, you know, being, you know, dealership owners of Kia and Hyundai back in the day was a little rough because they, you know, weren't, they were, they were known for not being that great cars back then. Now Kia and Hyundai is so legit, like beautiful cars. Well, so well made. I mean, Hyundai basically is, is Genesis and now it has the Genesis offshoot, which they're, they're phenomenal cars. And, uh, you got in on the ground floor of that. So, and it, it's definitely paid off now, especially, you know, top Kia retailer in the U S and you have, you, you, you basically rep Kia, Hyundai, VW, and Honda, right? Those are the dealerships that those are the brands. Yeah, we actually sold our VW store in November oh, okay. of last year. Um, so we have seven stores in Washington, two Kia and a Hyundai and in uh, Southern California, three Kia and a Honda store in El Monte. Oh, okay. So between California and 
uh, Washington, but you're, but you're based mainly in Seattle. Well, I live in Seattle. Like I said, uh, we've got four large dealerships in Southern California. So I'm down there quite a bit, um, right. between the two markets. I'm really fortunate. I have such a good team. They make my job, uh, really easy and make me look good. So they do most of the heavy lifting and I do podcasts like this. So it's, it's a pretty good gig. <laughs> Sounds, well, you know, you worked your way up. I would <laughs> say, you know, you put in the time, you put in the effort, you know, it's not, uh, what, what does your daily, like today is a Monday, you know, what, 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 what's a, a day in your work life look like? Um, it looks like, well, anymore, it looks like a lot of time on zoom. Uh, we have a lot of structured meetings. Um, we have a, a lot of structure. So any given day I'll have probably three to six, uh, meetings internally. And then I'll usually have two or three or four meetings externally. So I'm really involved. I'm on the Kia National Dealer Council. I'm on the Washington yeah. State Auto Dealer Association. So I'm involved in a lot of stuff in the industry of outside of my dealerships. It's a lot of meetings That's a lot and of a lot meetings. of travel. Yeah. Well, it's probably tra traveling is probably better than just being at meetings all day. You know, it, it's got its pros and cons. Um, sure. You know, I, I can't, I can't complain about it, but it's, you know, the great thing about Zoom and particularly with my dealerships being so spread out, um, and one of the things that came out of the pandemic for us is really adopting this video technology is if I wanted to meet with, you know, all seven of my service managers, it would take me, you know, basically four days to do that, to go around all the dealerships and fly between the markets. Uh, now I can, can hammer that out in half a day. So the technology and being able to adopt technology has just made us so much more efficient. Yeah, for sure. There's, I mean, there's always positives you take out of negatives and the negative being the pandemic, but ways you know you switched around things and do things differently now that actually is more beneficial you know it's always it's always good to 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 have the positives come out of something negative um so obviously the supply chain issue is still an issue right along with the chip shortages i mean it's getting better but i don't it's obviously not where it needs to be how how have you worked with you know kia hyundai honda and you know vw before you sold it to improve you know the supply chain management I guess you could say. You know, the supply chain and the shortage of inventory has been unlike anything I've I've ever seen. Pre-pandemic, we would have you know twenty five hundred new cars on the ground across all my dealerships, and and yeah. at the height of the pandemic, there were times when we had under a hundred. Um, and you know now that's gotten that's gotten back up to we're probably close to a thousand. So we're not at pre-pandemic levels. But do you think it needs to get back to, to not to cut you off? back to pre-pandemic levels or it's okay to be less than what it was before? I think we really need to be leaner, particularly with the rising interest rate environment. It's very expensive okay. to have all these yeah. cars. So hopefully, you know, I think we're at a really good spot right now. We have enough uh, cars where customers who have some choice, they can come in and see. <laughs> My cousin called me during, during the height of this and he said his daughter wanted to buy a car. And I'm like, fine, what she want? We'll get her on the list. He's like, oh, she doesn't know. She wants to come over and drive a few. And I'm like, well, it doesn't work that way anymore. I hate <laughs> yeah, to tell you, but there, there's no cars to drive. You yeah, what are you going to drive? <laughs> yeah, you just have to pick one off the internet and we'll uh, find out when it comes in and put your name on it. So we have inventory to show. We have cars available, but we're not uh, drowning. We don't have distressed inventory. I, I think we're in a good spot. Yeah. You know, we'll just see where it goes from here. There's been pent up demand. So with as the pent-up demand runs out and the interest rates increase, 
I don't know what the future looks like. Yeah, no one, no one does. But I, I feel like I hear a lot of dealerships say that same type of thing, you know, it, but it's, it's crazy how the industry was doing despite the pandemic. It was an interesting dichotomy because there was this crazy supply chain issue, but dealerships were very profitable. The most they've been in over a decade. And do you find that one or two of the brands uh, that you represent specifically are, are handling supply chain shortage better than others? Like, are you getting more from Hyundai than your RVW? Well, I think every it... manufacturer is in a little bit of different of a place. So the Korean manufacturers are more vertically integrated and had more control over their, um, over their supply chain. And the biggest problem Hyundai and Kia had is they were just selling the cars too quickly. Uh, other manufacturers where they've made a strategic point of diversifying and outsourcing so many things um, have been slower to bounce back. So every manufacturer was in a little bit different situation and they've handled it different. And, um, you know, Kia, I think, is and Hyundai have done a pretty good job. Um, you know, I think, well, I think all the manufacturers have done a good job. They just uh, were in different situations. Um, of the manufacturers I rep, we still see the fewest Hondas. We're still having, we're still struggling to get Honda more than, than other, uh, than the other hmm. brands. Is it was when you, I know you said you sold your VW dealership, but how are they, how, how was, was that? Cause, it was, I, cause I've heard it mixed was, things. It was really interesting. It was sort of, uh, irregular. It would, we, we wouldn't have any inventory then a whole bunch would show up. Hmm. And, um, I felt more so with them than other manufacturers they were really struggling with model mix too so you know you'd have no cars and then 40 tiguans would show up and it's, um so you know and that and that's important too derek is it's not just the number of cars but you also have to have model mix and the right cars right exactly um, yeah and so it's a really complex animal as as everyone well now everyone in the world knows because there's been a lot of I've been a little bit surprised how much media coverage there has been on automotive and automotive supply chain. Well, it's because it's a big issue and still is. I mean, it's definitely easing up a little bit now, but it's still there. I mean, right with the chips too. Like that's a big reason for it as well, right? Are you having an issue? Well, I mean, everyone's having an issue with that. Yeah, it's been a lot more than chips. It's been chips. It's been paint, and there's been a lot of disruption paint. in shipping. Um, you know, just the the moving the cars around, which has gotten a lot better too, but. There was a lot of uh, disruption in the shipping of the vehicles. You mentioned, yeah, but you, you mentioned paint. There's been, that's an issue too, like getting certain paints for certain. I, you know, I don't know that it is right now, but at one point it was. Huh. You know, when, when they were that's having just all sorts of supply chain issues, um, certain paints and certain colors, and yeah, some of the manufacturers mentioned that. You know, uh, latches for for uh, the back of SUVs. It, you know, it's, it's things you don't even think been, of <laughs> things you don't think of. It's been driven by the chips shortage, but it's been all sorts of supply issues. And to add it, uh, I don't know if it's insult to injury, it's and cars are so now advanced, you know, whether it's a regular combustion engine or an EV or a hybrid, it doesn't matter. There's way more chips in every car because they're basically, you know, uh, a computer on wheels. So it's just, you need more and more chips for cars now than you did, you know, way more than 10 years ago. It, oh, yeah. And, and more and more features, you know, yeah. um, two key fobs and heated rear seats and, mm -hmm. you know, everything. It all adds up. And the complexity in these vehicles, and like you said, whether they're EV or gas or hybrid, the complexity is just amazing. Yeah. You know, and especially EVs, they're like, you know, it's like an, I've said this before. It's like an iPhone on wheels. <laughs> you know, it is. Uh, the EVs are I mean, I'm really uh, passionate about the EVs. I drive the key EV6 myself. 
Um, and I'm just really excited about uh, the EV revolution. Uh, and those products are, they're, they're really great products. Um, we have a lot of work to do to educate people on them, I think. And sure. I don't think they're at a point where it's a great choice for everyone, but for a lot of people, I think it's a really good choice. Yeah. There's certain, you know, reasons why you, you'd get an EV, you know, if your commute to work is not that long and, you know, you live in an area that things will, you know, you live in a, like I live in Jersey, you know, where I live, everything's close. Even this, you know, New York City is close. The beach is right next to me. You know, like you can you can get to a lot of places in a short span of time. So that the EVs are great for that. I, I always think it would be eventually. I think everyone's going to have an EV or an either a hybrid or you know they'll have a if they're a car person like me. Like I like <laughs> engines too. So I'd want to have that one, and I'd want to have you know an EV as well. Something 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 like that. Well, you know, but right now they don't, it doesn't represent a, a big market. EV. I mean, it's like 6% right now. Yeah, it, it, it is. And, you know, the, the biggest, well, I think I see two hurdles for electrification. The first is the cost. The cars are just expensive. And true. You know, not very, many very people true. can't afford a $70,000 car. Uh, and then again, it's not going to get any cheaper with higher interest rates. So if you have a higher car, uh, higher cost of car and higher interest rate, now your payment is, is way through the way at the moon. So, right. Yeah. Definitely problems with affordability. And then really what I found talking to customers and with my own experience is that for people to really use EVs, they need to be able to charge at home overnight. Going to the charging stations is just inconvenient Definitely. for most people. So if you can charge at home overnight, you're fine, which means most people uh, in the suburbs uh, who own their homes and have a driveway and have electrical that, you know, is put in in the last 40 yeah. years or so but if you live in multifamily, you rent you don't have a designated parking spot you have a old home with 100 year old wiring um and you're gonna go somewhere yeah you're gonna go somewhere every day to charge it, it just doesn't really work in practice yeah well, definitely a lot of factors and i and i think and it's gonna get here one day and i've said this a million times on the show but the day you could pull into a charging station plug your car in and it charges fully in the same amount of time it takes to fill up a tank of gas now everyone's it's gonna that that's gonna be the big swing i think because it's like okay you know t time is not an issue anymore it just charges right up um which would be great and i think it'll definitely get there at some point yeah well it'll be interesting at to see point. how this all <laughs> develops because you know i wouldn't count out hydrogen yet and right also, yeah you i've know, talked about that sure hi highly efficient uh, plug-in hybrids where, you know, most of their driving, you have a small battery. It doesn't take very long to charge. Most of your yep. battery is on, most of your driving is on electric. And then you use a little bit of gas. Um, you know, it's not fully electric and you're still burning gas, but for most people, they, they work. And, um, there hasn't been real big adoption of the plug-in hybrids, uh, which I think is really a shame because I think yeah, that I agree. might be the, absolute best solution yeah you know especially if it moves to hydrogen so you can you know get rid of gas and oil completely and you're using hydrogen and it's hydrogen electric and and boom now you're you're in business now you're in business yeah and and the only byproduct is water coming out of the tailpipe when you use hydrogen which is great so you know it's a good alternative um so so the auto auto industry and dealerships have succeeded despite the inventory shortages like we talked about but how has car pros kept a competitive uh, market share among all the challenges that have arose, you know, with interest rates and, uh, you know, things like that? Well, you know, we've really been focused on um, turn to selling the cars as quickly as we can. 
Uh, and so, you know, dealers have had different strategies to, you know, if you're going to sell fewer cars, you need to to um, make as you know much as you can on each car. And I get that. Mm-hmm. Um, but certainly what we've been doing is just trying to just sell every car as quickly as it comes in, uh, yeah. which has earned us more cars from the manufacturer. Um, so that our strategy to, to do get through the shortage is just to focus on inventory turn, focus on selling as many cars as possible, getting the cars down the road and, uh, getting in line to get more from the manufacturer. Yeah. Well, Hey, I mean, that's, that's, that's plain and simple. Listen, <laughs> we got to turn these over. We got to sell these cars. Uh, have the interest rates been a big effect on 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 it or on on um you know consumers coming in being like they can't afford cars they used to be able to to afford and things like no, that I'll tell you what we have been seeing is people um buying less car people moving down in, in trim or model yeah. um so people that come in to buy cars are still buying cars they're not leaving without cars they may be leaving with less car than they came in for um and, and what's interesting about that Derek is you know, everybody's moved away from these smaller, less expensive cars and into SUVs. And um, it might be too soon to uh, to count out the small car. I think we might see some, um, if if gas, particularly if gas prices go back, we, we might see the rise of the compact car yet again. But yeah. um, anyway, we're, we aren't seeing people not buying cars. We're seeing people buy uh, less expensive or less contented cars because their so payments are higher with the interest rates. Yeah. Um, but as interest rates continue and, and as, like I said, some of that pent up demand gets fulfilled, um, it may be a different story. So someone buying maybe like a K, what is it? A K2 or something instead of a, a stinger or something like that. Or <laughs> yeah, a of a soul. yeah. I mean, the stingers are great cars. Those are great sports cars. I mean, for what you get and what it's comparable to, it's, it's a, I love that car. <laughs> I love that car too. I had one, um, when they very first came out. Yeah, uh, and I had a, a limited edition yellow one. Uh, I think I only made like two thousand of them, and um, <laughs> it's like taxi cab yellow. But <laughs> it, it's hilarious because when I was a, a kid, I I was really into cars, and then you know doing this for a living, I've, I've kind of grown out of it. And and to be honest, I drive like a grandma. But man, when I drove that Stinger, <laughs> I'm surprised I didn't get a ticket or kill somebody because I, I drove like I was driving my uh, high school Iroxy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> your Z, that's awesome yeah I had, I, that's what i had 1988 camaro iroxy top with the gold wheels hey i'm mad at you for that you know <laughs> but the, hey those i'm telling you those those stingers cook man those you know it's comparable to you know you get the the higher end ones it's comparable to an m3 you know oh it's, yeah it's, it's it's pretty crazy for and what you get you get quality it's, it's quality car you know well you know it's interesting that you say that and we've actually been getting over the last few years um a lot of audi and and um, bmw trades uh, yeah. uh, in trade but you know that um kia and hyundai hired the guy that ran the m series albert beerman and brought See? him aboard so they have a lot of that DNA. Their first big designer they hired was Peter Schreier, who was a big designer for Volkswagen Group, designed the new Beetle, designed the Audi TT. Hmm. And uh, he actually designed the Stinger. In fact, the Stinger was kind of a weird car for Kia. Um, but part of what I heard, part of the lore is that Peter Schreier, in order to come over from um, Volkswagen Group, one of the things that they had to let him build this GT car, this Gran Turismo, Grand Touring car that he wanted to build. 
and so they said okay and then they put him off as long as they could but they i guess this is the car that he'd been sketching on the back of napkins since he was a kid growing up in germany watching people drive these uh 1970s huh. gt cars down to the to the mediterranean for summer vacations so yeah um, oh, wow. but then they brought him in to do their design and then they uh, a few years later hired the uh, guy albert Bierman from bmw who um was running the m series so uh it, it, interesting that you uh well i think I, that I, that's accurate yeah because i think i kind of I'm, I'm heard that and subconsciously i probably said that because i've <laughs> i've heard that somewhere um which is which is pretty cool like i said they've you know kia hyundai you know the cars are phenomenal like i have nothing bad to say about them um, well, you were talking about the evolution of them and how yeah. in the beginning they, they had a lot of problems and they were sold basically on price and warranty. You know, when, when we started selling uh, Kias, we were on the TV advertising uh, $69.98 for a new car why buy used. And um, wow. it's come a long way from there. Uh, but once they did, were reliable and a good value, they realized they were they were reliable and good value, but nobody... Nobody had one, uh, you know, no teenager had one, uh, a poster of one on their wall wanting one as their first car. Right. And, and I, it was like, a new brand. The design right. It was like a new brand. I remember seeing them when I was younger. Like, what is this? What is a Kia? You know, <laughs> what is this? What is a Kia Sportage? Like, I didn't know. We, you know, and then obviously over the years, it's gotten better and better. And um, uh, kudos to them and kudos to you for you know, being on the ground floor of that and, and working your way on up. Uh, to, to where they are now and having very profitable dealerships. Uh, la last question before we get going. Is there a piece of advice you'd give to, you know, other dealership owners or CEOs, folks that work at dealerships, that maybe you started doing at Car Pros that could help them? I'm not saying give away any secrets or anything, but, you know, the way you handle the supply chain or maybe since there's like no incentives, you figured out a way to give your own incentives to customers. I mean, it could be anything. You know, I think going back to what we started the conversation with and, embracing change and the environment or the advice i would give to anyone is normalize change in your culture let's sure. let's make it so that change isn't scary change is inevitable let's try and you know normalize change and give people tools to deal with it and um become better at pivoting in the pandemic we all learned we can pivot when we have to um <clears throat> so you know let, let's make efforts yeah. to make it a skill and and like any skill we can practice it and become better at it yeah you know i i think that's good advice change is inevitable and you, you have to embrace it for sure especially with what uh, every business you know car dealership or not had to go through during the pandemic that was one hell of a test you know and change had to happen so very well said uh matthew appreciate you coming on dnt anything else you'd like to say before we get going no, just thanks for having me, Derek. Anytime you want to talk about uh, automotive or trends in automotive retail or just cars, give me a shout. I'm here. Yeah, for sure. This was great and insightful. And, uh, you know, we covered a lot of ground. So I appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, thank you very much, Derek. I really enjoyed this. Thank you as well. And there you have it, folks. That was Matthew Phillips, the CEO of CarPros Automotive Group. For more information on Matthew and CarPros, head over to carpros.com. That will do it for this episode of DNT. Hit us up on social media at Dealer News today. Of course, I am your host, Derek D, DerekD.com for all my stuff. I appreciate you listening, everybody. And until next time, this is Dealer News Today.